Hi, hi to everyone, my friends, fans, and followers. I am your host, Linda Gay Scott. I hope you had a wonderful holiday season and welcome to 2022. I believe this new year can bring many exciting opportunities into all of our lives. So be on a staunch lookout. (laughs) This third episode is an emotional one for me. So let's stay together, hang on, and travel with me on this very bumpy road indeed. Whoa. <laughs> welcome, welcome. This podcast brought to you by Malibu Sandals. Malibu Sandals was born in the heart of Malibu, California, known as the home of celebrities, millionaires, billionaires, and is famous for its beautiful beaches, surfing, and views of the blue, mighty Pacific Ocean. Malibu Sandals are known for its incomparable design, quality, and cruelty-free material, as well as environmentally friendly footwear. At the end of the show, Malibu Sandals has a special offer for the listeners, so stay tuned. Previously on my second episode, I talked about why I was on the cover of Jan and Dean Take Linda Surfing. Jan mooning me on Sunset Boulevard, ay ay ay. Easter vacation on Palm Canyon Drive in Palm Springs in the 60s. Finishing school in Switzerland. And losing my virginity. Wow, it took a lot to say that one. In this, my third episode, I skip forward 10 years, and I talk about Westworld, written and directed by Michael Crichton, and some of this episode is about Michael and me, hence the name Westworld, Crichton, and me. Okay, so here we go. MGM presents Westworld. Your attention, please. We will soon be landing at Westworld, the ultimate resort. One afternoon, I had just finished my jog, was totally out of breath, when my friend Jim Brolin was driving by and stopped to say hi, as he and his wife Jane were neighbors. We chatted for a minute or two, and then he asked me to come by for a glass of wine. I took a quick shower, got dressed, and stopped by their place. We all talked a bit, and shortly after, Jim Brolin, he mentioned there might or could be a part in an upcoming film at MGM. And of course, my ears perked (laughs) as, as I was very interested. Within a couple of days, I had an appointment at MGM Studios, where I had an interview for a role in an upcoming movie called Westworld, with Michael Crichton as director. What? I don't know this director. Never heard of him. But, mm, I don't know, anything can happen in Hollywood's film industry, so I thought, 
It's MGM, a highly respected and well-known studio, been around for decades, and who, by the way, am I to question this opportunity, right? (laughs) Okay, so I entered the MGM lot and was ushered into a building with many doors, long hallways, etc., Next, I was led into an office where I was introduced to a very tall gentleman. At first, I was taken aback by his height, which seemed to be at least six foot seven. And soon after, I learned he was six foot nine. He was youngish, about 30, but quite attractive. I was delighted as he immediately put me at ease with his warm demeanor and big smile. With that comfort level, I was really able to express my thoughts with great ease and enthusiasm. So the amazing thing was, I felt as if I'd known him for some time. Now, almost everyone who's listening to this has had a familiar feeling about someone they've met, especially someone they've just met, at one time or another, but on an interview, well, I must say it was unusual for me. I think you might say, we clicked, sparks flew, and boom, there was chemistry. As Michael put on his glasses, his eyes seemed to stare at me, almost through me, which was rather strange in and of itself, um, as if he'd known me for ages. I really can't explain it exactly. You had to have been there. So why weren't you there? (laughs) I'm just teasing. Anyhow, truly, it was almost an out-of-body experience, which I'd never had, but was on an interview for an acting role and simply had to contain myself through whatever was going on. Now, after all, I had met him only minutes earlier, right? And then finally there was a calmness that had taken over and things seemed back to normal. And soon after, my interview was over, thank you, God. And as I said my goodbyes, I actually felt relieved in a way. Next thing I knew, I was contacted and told I had been accepted, yes, for the part of Arlette in Westworld. Well, well, of course, I was delighted and very excited to learn I would be working with Yul Brenner, Richard Benjamin, and Jimmy Brolin. I vividly recall how thrilled I was. Oh boy, I couldn't wait, and I'm very, very excited to tell my mom, and especially Jim Brolin, who was responsible for me having the interview in the first place. By the way, the well-known actor Josh Brolin is Jim's son, and of course, the beautiful award-winning actress Barbara Streisand is Jim's wife. As you know, I have acted in many TV shows and films, and I'm really familiar with what goes on and how movie sets work, etc. And I'll say 90-plus percent depends on the director. Some are incredibly wonderful, fun, lighthearted, and some are tough, stern, super serious, and sometimes even mean 
or maybe a combination of all those. But it's a huge responsibility, and there is so much going on. Cameras, lighting, sound, all the while watching the actors, plus other things. I saw and admired how Michael handled problems, as Westworld was his first film that had so many technical problems. Michael never appeared nervous or emotionally frustrated. On the contrary, he was a pro. I met Richard Benjamin for the first time at the studio, and we hit it off immediately. Having been around so many VIPs since I was a little girl, I always felt comfortable and never quite understood why or how people would or could be intimidated, but that's just me. I wasn't nervous. I wasn't nervous at all in front of the cameras. Soon after we were on set, in a bedroom upstairs above the saloon, and then here's the thing. I had already slipped into and become my character, Arlette. By the way, she's a prostitute, and not just that, a robot. And Richard's character was my client. Since Richard had experience in directing and acting, he also went right into his character. Furthermore, Michael made us totally comfortable and let us do our work. We didn't have to rehearse. As a matter of fact, I don't think we did rehearse much for the scene at all. Actually, only one take on that famous scene, but that's not including close-ups, of course. Going back to my acting role as Arlette, I literally had not a word to utter or speak. So I knew I had to become like the most enthralling and interesting female character in this film, or my part would be written off as nothing, nada. That girl can't act. <laughs> so I said, oh my God. Wait, oh wait a minute, I misspoke. I did have something to say. I noticed I did have two words, goodbye, when leaving the bedroom after being with Richard. Sorry. It was a small part, but a meaningful one. And I was also the first one who gave a hint that the robots might attack. You may revisit the movie to find out. By the way, Richard Benjamin loved his role <laughs> with a cowboy hat, gun belt, and a gun, but admitted he'd never ridden a horse in his life. <laughs> that was so funny. But Richard Benjamin loved making the film. He said it was the only way I was ever going to be in a science fiction western. <laughs> and further commented, you get to do all that stuff that's like you're 12 years old. <laughs> all the reasons you go to the movies in the first place, of course. Now, obviously that's not the way he sounds, but that's just me doing a poor imitation. Richard was a kick and really a lot of fun. Now, I'd like to talk about Michael Crichton. While attending Harvard Medical School, he wrote and sold countless books and paperback thrillers, and that was in order to pay his tuition. Many of his novels were also adapted into award-winning movies, and much later, Spielberg would adapt his Jurassic Park for that franchise of films. Michael was simply a gifted writer of fiction novels, plus 
a gifted and brilliant writer and director of films. Many referred to him as a genius. Therefore, Westworld then became the most successful film for MGM during that time. Most of the fantasies about the Wild West or about medieval Europe or about Imperial Rome are movie fantasies. I mean, they're, they're not what people got from reading history books. They're what they got from looking at, at you know, Douglas Fairbanks and John Wayne and you know, that stuff. So, so in some strange way, it doesn't work on paper at all. It only works as images. Unbeknownst to me, Michael's Westworld script had been offered to every studio in town, with the exception of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, MGM. There was, however, a problem as MGM had developed a reputation of low budgets for under a million dollars. In other words, they were stingy with money. <laughs> MGM demanded that Michael must finish the movie in 30 days. MGM executives offered Michael Crichton a mere stipend for his soon-to-be giant moneymaker of a film. But nobody knew that at the time. Since it was Michael's first film endeavor, he accepted the low-budget offer from MGM. And in his mind, he wanted to not only prove his talent to be himself, but more importantly, prove his talent to one of the most respected and important film studios in Hollywood history. Hmm. In order to save time and money, Michael shot only what was needed. He used the Western set that was actually the same set used in Mel Brooks' comedy film Blazing Saddles, and that was in the Mojave Desert, plus the exquisite gardens of the Harold Lloyd estate in Beverly Hills, and of course MGM sound stages, backlots, etc. Michael tried to shoot everything that was needed in order to save time also known as money. You see, especially in the film business, whatever it is, time equals money, and everybody is squeezing tight. So what to do? They had to cut a couple of scenes. No, actually, it was more than a couple. I think I remember it was a lot of scenes, but they did. And by the way, I was unaware, but later found out that both Richard Benjamin and James Brolin were cast only 48 hours before filming was due to begin. Now, that's cutting it close. There were a number of minor injuries during filming in a shootout sequence when a piece of debris from a blank cartridge struck Yule Brenner in the eye, scratching his cornea. No fun. So production was halted to allow time for his eye to heal. And did you know that during a scene in the film, James Brolin was bitten by a rattlesnake? Even though he had padding on his body, I was told the fangs of the snake actually pierced his skin. His wife Jane told me that. Finally, the film was completed, and MGM was more than happy. How could they be? Westworld became the most successful film for MGM, and in the summer of 1973, the film was released on the big screen and collected millions in revenue in the USA alone. At that point, that amount was huge, big. I'll bet they were happy. <laughs> they were happy in spades. They were so excited. But Michael was intensely fatigued by Westworld. He was pleased and proud, 
but at the same time also kind of worried about the audience's critical reaction. That is a very normal thing, however. The New York Times critics claimed that Michael Crichton made a credible debut as a film director. Westworld also received critical praise from the same New York Times, saying it was an amazing achievement. Crichton had made a credible debut as a film director, but Crichton, the director, seems to have had more fun with the film itself. Gene Siskel from the Chicago Tribute Film Critics, he gave the film three stars out of four, calling the first Westworld a template for Crichton's novel Jurassic Park. I must say that Westworld will always be a great film to revisit. And of course, it was recently remade by HBO as a TV series. Now, ultimately, Michael was so proud in creating, writing, and directing. Of course, his first film and all the success around. But now, let us revisit the bumpy road and delve deeper into my relationship. Not too long after filming, Michael called and asked me to dinner. Well, I had to think about it for a while, and then I said, Of course I responded with a yes. He came to my home, and as I opened the door, I felt butterflies in my tummy. Inviting him in, I introduced my very young son and Tonita, my son's nanny, without whom I could never have existed. But Michael and I walked around in my sunroom slash library where I had a wall of many books as I loved to read. And Michael slowly walked over to my shelves and asked about several of my books. He took time to zero in on a couple here, a couple there, and perhaps three in particular. I was curious and answered his questions and then he asked, who is this author? Not sure, I said. Name is right there, as I pointed out the printed names, each different. One was uh, Jeffrey Hudson, and the other was John Lang. He answered, did you enjoy? And I said, yes, actually, why? And that was when the whole thing became clear. He, Michael, he was the author using fake names, nom de plume, to pay for his tuition as he was working his way through Harvard Medical School in order to graduate. Now, not only was I blown away, but amazed at his guts and fortitude. I thought, what a guy. We began to laugh as we kept seeing each other, and he and I talked about so many things, and on one evening, Michael shared a story that kind of blew my mind. He started explaining that one day he visited Disneyland and enjoyed the many rides with many themes, but the two themes in particular that struck him were Pirates of the Caribbean and Great Moment with Mr. Lincoln. That's obviously the former President Lincoln. I could see the excitement in his eyes as his mind was reeling, and he told me about how he'd gotten the idea for Westworld. He told me about these different worlds and robots, about the Wild West, medieval Europe, and Imperial Rome, and that had become the inspiration for Westworld. He invented a place offering wealthy customers an escape from reality to live out their fantasies. 
And then he even went further and explained, what if robotic characters attacked the tourists? Hmm. I listened intently as he continued to explain how his vision had now become a reality as Westworld. Wow, I thought, the movie of which he was so proud. Again, truly, it was as if we'd known one another forever. More time sharing, and then there was a moment when he looked into my eyes and said, I want to tell you something. I'm not easily impressed with women, but you intimidated me almost from the first moment we met. Now, I was stunned and asked why. A slow smile came over his face as he said, You figure it out. He leaned down and gently kissed me on the lips. Believe it or not, from that moment, a serious something began in our relationship, and a proposal ensued. He talked about how we'd fly down to St. Bart's in the Caribbean, and, 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 but hold on! Things were moving too fast for me. Here was the thing. I knew what was happening but I just couldn't talk or answer. You see, I understood what he was saying and where it all was going, but I also knew that his career was number one in his life, that he had a goal, which was great. So the next day he called and I was listening to his voice message. I felt strange inside. Then again, another hour or so went by and still I wasn't able to pick up the phone. I just couldn't take his call. Emotions and feelings that brought back memories of a tragic marriage I had gone through and well I I was simply too afraid. I was frightened to go on a possibly bumpy ride and down a bumpy road again and so quickly all of a sudden going back in time a different Michael a different Michael that had tragically died in a drowning accident and had been, was my husband, father of my son, things I had ignored and am unable to talk about now. It's simply too painful. I know, I recall, I remember. The next day, I called him, Michael, Crichton, and this time it was he who wasn't answering my call. Finally, we talked on the phone, and he seemed very happy, but he was very busy. The next day, I called him, and this time it was he who wasn't answering my call. Finally, we talked on the phone, and he seemed very busy, although we arranged to have lunch. It was a terrible day for me, and to make matters worse, I had a nervous rash on my face. Nerves, you know. Just what I didn't need, but I simply, I, I didn't look good, and it wasn't a good thing. I was unable to handle anything that was transpiring at that time, because I was simply a basket case. We met for lunch, and he told me he had no time for games, that he needed someone predictable in his life. 
that his career was the first thing in his life and that he needed me to support him. Something had happened and all of a sudden everything went out the window for me. Gone were the butterflies staring into one another's eyes as I felt broken inside and I, I just couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And on that day, we left each other. It was over. Never again. In my mind, my whole life had just been through a grand tunnel of love. <laughs> I know it's kind of corny, but that's what it felt like. It was fantastic. And yes, I did love him, but now I was alone and not knowing what way to turn or what to do. My dad had left my beautiful mom and just gotten engaged to a model that was exactly, precisely my age. It was not a good time for me. At that point, that moment in time, I had zero idea of what I was going to do with my life. But one thing was for sure. Although I was definitely venturing down an uncharted road, I was bound and determined to support myself and make it on my own. All this as I began to fall asleep with tears in my eyes that night, alone with my little boy, my son, in my arms, whom I loved so very much. I want to thank you all for listening to my third episode, Linda's Pumpy Ride, as it's not been an easy task. I'm looking forward to publishing my fourth episode and many more of my true life episodes, adventures, TV shows, films, and as Jimmy Durante once said, I got a million of them. I love you all, and again, Happy New Year. Stay safe, and God bless.